0: Thank you, Mike, for reading. You read the Bible better than the British man on the Bible app. (laughs) You should record your own Bible, I'd listen. Uh, Good morning, everyone. Uh, It's good to see you all, and a warm welcome to those who are new or visiting. My name is Dan, I serve as one of the pastors here at Granville Chapel. And uh, today we are starting our new sermon series for the new year and uh, credit to uh, our design team for making this. Um, So the title for our new series is called So That You May Believe. So that you may believe. And uh, for the next couple months, we will be going through the Gospel of John together. Now, we're not going to be able to address every story or every passage because that would take a very long time. Uh, But we are going to go through the gospel one chapter every week. And uh, different members of our preaching team will uh, teach from selected passages from each chapter. Uh, So the title for our series actually comes directly from uh, the gospel of John uh, near the end. So John, who was one of the 12 disciples of Jesus, uh, he writes about who Jesus is what Jesus taught, and John also writes about the signs and the miracles that Jesus performed. And then near the end of his gospel, in chapter 20, John writes the following. So John writes, uh, we have a slide. Uh, now Jesus did many other signs in the presence of the disciples, which are not written in this book. But these are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing, you may have life in his name. Now, these verses are widely recognized by scholars as John's purpose statement. Uh, These verses explain the heart and the motivation for why John wrote his gospel. And John tells us clearly and plainly He says, these are written so that you may believe. And for about 2,000 years now, since the Gospel of John has been written, this Gospel has been doing just that. Countless people have come to believe and put their faith in Jesus, either through reading the Gospel or through hearing John's Gospel taught or preached. And so as we go through this Gospel together, chapter by chapter, John's purpose will be our purpose, and John's goal will be our goal. We wanna see people believe in Jesus, and that by believing, we may experience true life in his name. And so, with this in mind, I just wanna name two concrete hopes that we have for the series. Hope number one is that we want to see new people discovering faith in life in Jesus. We live in a broken and hurting world and many people are looking for hope. And those of us who have discovered hope in Jesus, we have been given the responsibility and really the privilege to bear witness about Jesus and to share the good news of what he offers to the world. Through Jesus, we can know and live our lives walking with God, our creator. Through Jesus, we can have all our past failures and sin forgiven and washed away. Through Jesus, we can find healing for the wounds and the scars and the hurts that we've experienced. And through Jesus, we can discover who we really are as human beings and find the true meaning and purpose he has for our lives. Jesus offers to us and to the world life and life to the full. And we wanna see new people experience this life in him. So that's the first hope that new people would discover faith in Jesus. And the second hope we have for the series is this. Hope number two is that believers would have their faith in Jesus strengthened. That we as believers would have our faith in Jesus strengthened. You see, when you look at the scriptures, there's a common recurring problem that we see over and over again. And the problem is that God's people constantly wrestle with unbelief and doubt. For example, think about Adam and Eve. They struggled with unbelief and doubt in God's goodness, and this momentary doubt causes them to sin against God. Or think about the story of Abraham and Sarah. God promises them that he will bless them and that their descendants will become a great nation that will bless the whole earth. But as the years pass and as they get older, we see them struggling with unbelief and and doubt about God's promise to them. Uh, They're still childless and they try to take matters into their own hands by having children through Sarah's servant, Hagar, which was a terrible idea that goes really wrong. And lastly, remember the story in Mark chapter nine, uh, when a father brings uh, his son to Jesus in order to be healed. And so Jesus says to this father, he says, everything is possible for one who believes. And the father replies truthfully and honestly, he says, I do believe, Help me overcome my unbelief. And so faith and belief in God is not always a simple I believe or I don't believe. And there may be times in our lives when our faith is strong and other times when our faith may be weak. And not only that, but at any one time in our lives, we may have a strong faith in God for certain areas of our lives, but then at the same time have questions or doubts about God's faithfulness in other areas of our lives. And of course, whenever we face a new trial or a new painful circumstance, we again have our faith tested and challenged. Will we believe and trust in God for this circumstance or for this situation? And so throughout our lives, our faith and belief in God will be tested, and as we talked about last week, we'll go through trials that will challenge our faith. And so that's why we're told again and again in the scriptures to persevere, to hold fast, and to fix our eyes on Jesus, who is the author and perfecter of our faith. And so again, we have these two hopes for this series for us. The first is that new people would discover faith in Jesus, and secondly, that believers would have their faith in Jesus strengthened as we fix our eyes on him. And so with these two hopes, uh, we'll begin and go into the Gospel of John. And uh, before we start, I would love to pray for us. So would you join me in prayer? Jesus, you are the light of the world. And you have come that we may have life and life to the full. And so as we go through this gospel, written by one of your disciples, and as we read about the things that you spoke and the things you did, would you reveal to us in greater depth who you are? And would you cause new, fo- new faith and hope and life to arise in all who hear your words, We pray and ask all these things in your name. Amen. All right, so let's dive right into chapter one. And this morning, I just want to talk about three big ideas that we see in this first chapter. So the first big idea is that Jesus is the creator God. John begins his gospel by writing in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. Through him all things were made, without him nothing was made that has been made. And so the first thing to notice is that John is echoing the creation story found in Genesis chapter one, which starts off with the words, In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. John echoes this, but also reframes it by saying, In the beginning was the Word. And then he goes on to describe how it is through the Word that all things were created. And by going back to the beginning of all things and to creation itself, John is making clear that what he has written is not just for a certain group of people for a certain period of time. Rather, what he has written is for the whole world, for all people everywhere. And we're going to see this concern for the whole world and all its peoples as we continue on in the Gospel of John. The second thing to notice in these verses is that John describes Jesus as the Word. Now, the Word is the English translation for the Greek word that John chose to use, which is the word logos. Now, a lot could be said about this word logos and and what it means, But for this morning, I just wanna share what a scholar named D.A. Carson says because I think it's a really helpful approach. So Carson first reminds us that John is a Jewish person. He was born in the nation of Israel. And his ideas about Jesus were deeply formed and rooted in the Jewish scriptures, which is the Old Testament. So therefore, if if we wanna understand what it means that Jesus is the logos, or the word, we need to understand this term through looking at what the Old Testament says about the word of God. So here's what Carson says about the word of God in the Old Testament. So Carson writes, the word of God is connected with God's powerful activity in creation. God simply speaks and his powerful word creates. That same word affects deliverance and judgment. In short, God's word in the Old Testament is his powerful self-expression in creation, revelation, and salvation. So Jesus as the word is the divine self-expression of God. Or to put it another way, Jesus is the very will of God expressed as his plans and purposes for all creation are accomplished. Now, at this point, we are beginning to get into the mystery of who Jesus is and really the mystery of the nature of God. Because John tells us that Jesus as the Word was with God but also was God. The Word was with God and the Word was God. Now, let's keep in mind that John is not making some kind of grammatical mistake here. He can write sentences perfectly fine. But he tells us that in the beginning, Jesus was with God, and Jesus was God. So what does that mean? How is that possible? And if we were to try to fully explain this, we'd have to bring in another person called the Holy Spirit and talk about the doctrine, the historical Christian doctrine of the Trinity. Um, And unfortunately, There's not enough time for all that this morning, so I'll leave that for a future person to take on. Uh, But what is clear is that in these verses, John wants us to know that Jesus as the Word was and is God. Jesus is not just some prophet or some religious leader. John is making clear in the first verse, that Jesus is the eternal creator God who was in the beginning and through whom all things were made, and so as we move on and continue to read the gospel, John is basically telling us this, that the deeds and the words of Jesus are the deeds and the words of God himself, This is a foundation that John wants to lay out for us from the very outset. So, big idea number one is that Jesus is the creator God. The next big idea for chapter one is that Jesus is God in flesh. John writes in verse 14, the word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. So we just talked about how as the word, Jesus is the creator God, and now John tells us that the word became flesh. And of course, this is what we just celebrated at Christmas, that Jesus entered our world and was born as a human child to a couple named Mary and Joseph. In Colossians 2.9, it says that in Jesus, The fullness of God lives in bodily form. The fullness of God in bodily form. And again, this is a mystery. We can't fully understand how this is possible. But when you think about it, there are many things in our lives and in our universe that are mysteries. There's things that we just don't fully understand. In fact, what we know from science and mathematics and physics and all the knowledge that we have amassed as human beings is only a fraction of all there is to know about the universe. So this week, in preparing for this message, and, you know, as it talks about the beginning of time and the creation of all things, um, I got to reading some articles about the Big Bang theory and uh, the science of what might have taken place uh, when the universe began. And then I read theories on what existed before the Big Bang, and then theories on what came before that and before that, and on and on and on. and. After about a half-hour, my mind was just spinning. I, <laughs> I got very confused. Uh, I had to take a nap. Um, but just the mind-boggling complexity of the universe. Um, so, I don't know if the Big Bang Theory is, is right or wrong. It's, it's the generally accepted uh, theory for most scientists. But my only point is that our world and our universe is full of mystery and full of things that we don't fully understand. But maybe that's part of the enjoyment of life, the mystery, the the discovery, the growing in knowledge and understanding. Now, some of us might be thinking, Some of us might be more scientifically minded and and think, you know, I really struggle to believe in God and in Jesus because it doesn't make sense. How could God become a human being? How is Jesus both the Son of God and God himself? And all I want to say is that the, the reality or the truth of something does not depend on our ability to understand it. The universe doesn't cease to exist because we don't understand how it came to be. But also, what I want to say is that just because we don't fully understand something, it doesn't mean that we have no understanding about something. We don't fully understand the universe, but... There is a lot that we do understand. And in the same way, with God and Jesus, we don't and we can't fully understand all that God is. But there is a lot that we can understand. And that's why John is writing his gospel, so that we can begin to know and understand who Jesus is so that we can believe in him. And so, bringing it back to the topic at hand, John tells us the incredible and fascinating mystery that somehow God became flesh. And the fullness of God dwelt in bodily form in the person of Jesus. So this is the second big idea that John gives to us, that Jesus is God in flesh, and that he walked among us on the earth. And then John's gospel is his testimony. It's his personal experiences as he walked with Jesus. So now we come to the third and the last big idea for this morning, which is that Jesus calls us to follow him. It says in John chapter one, verse 43, the next day Jesus decided to leave for Galilee. Finding Philip, he said to him, follow me. This is the most common way that Jesus calls people to himself. And this call is an invitation that Jesus gives. Jesus never makes the hard sell. He never pushes or coerces anyone to follow him. It's always an invitation. And as Jesus says these words, what we see and what we will see is that some people respond and say yes to following him, but also many do not. For one reason or another, People say no to Jesus, and they walk away. But for those who do say yes, what Jesus is doing is he is inviting them onto a journey. You know, for the first disciples of Jesus, they didn't fully understand who he was when they first started following him. They didn't understand what his real purposes were. But this is the nature of discipleship. It's a journey. It's a journey of discovery. Later in the gospel, uh, a gospel of John, we're going to see that even though many people start to follow Jesus, many stop following him, and they turn away. And this causes Jesus to ask the 12 disciples, you don't want to leave too, do you? Now at that time, all 12 disciples, they stick with Jesus, but we know that eventually one will will betray him. So faith in Jesus is a journey. And just because someone is not following Jesus today doesn't mean that they will never follow him. And likewise, just because someone is following Jesus right now is no guarantee that they will follow him to the end. So let's get practical and talk about us and where each of us might be in our journey of faith. Maybe you're a person who is currently unsure about Jesus. Uh, You might be new to church or Christianity. Or maybe uh, you're a younger person uh, who has grown up in the church but you haven't really made up your own mind about who Jesus is. Or maybe you've been a Christian for a long time, but right now, you are struggling with unbelief and doubt. A well-known term nowadays is, is the word deconstruction. Many people in the church have undergone or are undergoing a deconstruction of their faith, and they're questioning their beliefs about God and Jesus and the church. And when I think about my own life and journey of faith, I have personally experienced two extremely painful seasons of deconstruction in my own life. And so if you happen to be going through deconstruction and you're struggling with with unbelief and doubt, I just want to say that that doesn't have to necessarily be a bad thing. In fact, it could be the best thing that ever happened to your faith and your walk with God. Deconstruction and doubt and unbelief are indicators that something is not right. It's like conflict. Nobody likes conflict. But conflict doesn't necessarily have to be a bad thing. It merely indicates that something isn't right. And so if you can properly address the conflict, then you can fix the thing that's not right, and the end result is that you'll be in a better place than you were before. In the same way, deconstruction and doubt is simply a sign that something is not right. But if you can properly address what is the cause of your unbeliefs and doubts, then the end result is that you will be in a better place than you were before. And for me personally, although those times of deconstruction and unbelief and doubt were incredibly painful, and I would never want to go through them again, but now being on the other side, I would not go back in time and take away those painful seasons. Because the things I learned about God and about myself, and mostly about how weak and dependent I was on God, those things that I learned in those seasons, I treasure. And what I believe about God now is not just something that I grew up with, Um, Jesus is not just words on a page, but the truth of who God is has become embodied truth into me. And it's in these seasons that God can press his truth and the reality of who he is into us. And our faith in him can be strengthened and set on a more firm foundation. Now, I wanna take a minute to say one last thing about deconstruction and doubt. And it's in regards to the question of, of why we might go through these seasons. And what I've observed in my own life and in the experiences of others is that one of the main causes of deconstruction and doubt is incorrect beliefs about God. Incorrect beliefs about who God is. So either through bad teaching, or just us simply absorbing the beliefs of the Christian culture around us, we can form incorrect beliefs about God, and then when those beliefs fail us, that's when we begin to doubt or question who God is. Probably one of the most common questions of doubt is this. If God loves me, how could he allow this to happen to me? Or if God loves me, how could he allow this to happen to my child or to my mom or my dad or my friend? And and these are the types of questions that I wrestled with. In my early 20s, I was serving God and serving in the church, but a whole bunch of things in my life were going wrong. And I questioned God where are you, how could you allow these things to happen to me when I'm, when I'm trying to serve you and trying to serve the church? But you wonder where we get this from, or sorry, behind those questions, uh, here's the incorrect belief that, that is behind those types of questions. So the incorrect belief is this, that we believe, we somehow believe that if we follow God, then for the most part, our lives should go well. That bad things shouldn't happen to us because God loves us and he's in control. And you wonder where we get that belief from because if you read the Bible and just read a couple books in the New Testament, you will see terrible things happening To followers of Jesus. They are hated and they are beaten. They have their possessions taken from them. They are flogged and tortured and some of them are murdered by their fellow citizens or put to death by the government. And so how do we get this belief that if we believe in Jesus and this means somehow that bad things shouldn't happen in our lives? The Bible is clear followers of Jesus can and do experience tragedy and illness and pain and suffering in their lives. And the Bible also teaches us why this is the case. It tells us that this world in its current form is not the world that God created, that God originally created. God originally created a good and perfect world. But because of our sin and because of the work of Satan, the enemy of God, we are currently living in a fallen world in which there is suffering and death. But then it's into this fallen world that Jesus enters the picture. And as we learned this morning, Jesus the creator God Jesus, God in the flesh, who walked among us. And Jesus came to rescue us from our sins, and he is redeeming and restoring the world that he created. And the way we are rescued and redeemed and restored is through him. Jesus says to a lost and hurting world, follow me. And again, this is an invitation that Jesus gives, an invitation to go on a journey with him. Jesus invites us to follow him, to discover who he is, to discover who we are, and to discover true life in him. And no matter where we are on that journey, whether we're going through deconstruction and doubt, or whether we're on a spiritual high and in a great place in our faith, or maybe some of us are feeling just stagnant and stuck in our faith. But wherever we may be on that journey, Jesus says to all of us, follow me. And keep following me. Follow me, and you will experience life and life to the full, both now and forevermore, into all eternity. And just to close this morning with with one last final thought, it must be said that the journey of faith was never meant to be a solo journey, that we are called to journey together. We are the church. We are the people of God. We are called brothers and sisters in the family of God. And we are called to follow him together. So as we go through the Gospel of John and as we continue to journey as a church this next year, may we do that. May we seek to follow Jesus and seek to follow him together. May we support one another and encourage each other and journey together with all patience and endurance. May we hear and respond to Jesus' invitation to follow him. Let's, uh, Let's pray together.